You are listening to Beyond Sets and Reps, where we provide the performance edge. I'm your host, Pat Ivey. And I'm your co-host, Mackenzie. And thanks for tuning in to another episode. Culture of accountability is when a lot of your athletes are doing what they're supposed to be doing, when they're supposed to be doing, how they're supposed to be doing it. Competence. Do your athletes know what they're supposed to be doing so that they can do what they're supposed to be doing? Are they committed? Will they see it from the start to the finish? Will they complete the task? Are they consistent? Dr. Rick McGuire started the Missouri Institute for Positive Coaching. He recently retired as the Director of Sports Psychology for Intercollegiate Athletics at the University of Missouri and Graduate Professor of Sports Psychology in the Department of Educational, School, and Counseling Psychology. For 27 years, he was Missouri's track coach and field coach. Under McGuire's tutelage, Missouri athletes earned 143 All-American recognitions, 110 conference champions, 29 USA national team members, seven NCAA champions, three collegiate records, and five Olympians, with two winning Olympic silver medals. He is the founder and was the chairman of for 27 years of the USA Track and Field Sport Psychology Program and served on staff for 11 USATF national teams, including the 1992 and 1996 Olympic Games in Barcelona and Atlanta. As professor, Dr. McGuire established Missouri's graduate master's and doctoral programs in sports psychology, along with providing a popular undergraduate sports psychology class. Dr. McGuire is a founding member of the Association for Applied Sports Psychology, was in the initial class of the AASP certified consultants and has been honored with the recognition of ASP Fellow. I would now like to welcome Dr. Rick McGuire. How are you doing this evening, sir? Hi, Dr. Ivy. It's a pleasure and an honor to be with you. Appreciate the opportunity. And I've had a great day. <laughs> so let's <laughs> keep it that way. We will try. We'll try keep our best. Ball rolling. Coach, yes, sir. we want to start off by asking you, there's a term that I first heard from you. It's called comprehensive integrated. Exactly what is that as it relates to sport and developing athletes? Um, really good question, Pat. The, so when I started out as a coach, uh, you kind of did everything. Uh, it was at the high school level. You, you, you coached the team. You washed the uniforms. You um, taped the ankles. Um, it, it, you, were, you were everything. You know, had cook and bottle washer. You did everything. Um, so that was in the, the olden days. Uh, it, it, we didn't have covered wagons, but but we also didn't have a weight room. Uh, we didn't we didn't have uh, a nutritionist. We didn't have a sports psychologist. We didn't have uh, academic support people. Um, everything was under the coach's uh, hat. Uh, 
Um, and, and the world was good. But the world could be even better and is even better when we have uh, in the in the many years since, and really in the last 10 to 12 years, we've really had an explosion in um, professionals from all the sports sciences and, and other areas that could contribute to uh, high-performance excellence, could, could contribute to helping a coaching staff and athletes in their effort and their intention and their um, in their everyday preparations to be more thoroughly prepared and ready to deliver high performance excellence. For me, that is saying in, to be in the upper range of their capability uh, and delivering it uh, in a high percentage of their opportunities. Uh, people can do that. Um, they're, they're going to have a successful and, and fulfilling season and career. So this striving for high performance excellence really can be supported and augmented with the, the people who are the experts, the specialists in these other areas of support. And so as that, as they began to come into play, and for me, the, the first one of those that came into play was when I got to the University of Missouri and it was the first time that I had ever had uh, a person who was trained in strength and conditioning um, and a weight room that it wasn't very big compared to today's standards, but it was very well supplied. We had beautiful equipment and it was just a small room, but it was a room dedicated to being able to develop strength and, and condition our athletes with a person who had expertise in it. And so, so that's a, that's a tremendous opportunity. At the same time, um, as I had been the coach and I was a trained person in the field of applied sports psychology, I was aware of the fact that when I was helping other coaches with their teams, whether they were at Missouri or other universities or at the high school level, everything that I would do, I would share with the coach to help the coach then provide better experience for his or her athletes. I didn't want to work with their athletes because I know kids meet sport at the coach and the coach can make or break that experience. Obviously we want coaches being absolutely dedicated to making it be a great experience and to develop for the coach to develop their expertise in a variety of areas that are available and when they are going to have help with the, with another area, whether it's strength and conditioning or mental training or nutrition, um, uh, athletic trainers, whatever it is, I recognized that it was critical that the coach be in the picture, that, that the coach knew what the coach was going to be doing in practice every day with the athletes. And whatever it is that the, so we use strength and conditioning, the weight room as an example, absolutely the strength and conditioning coach could design a terrific training program for uh, the athletes. Uh, they could even uh, individualize it. The athletes on, in the track team, for example, 
that the athletes who were sprinters would have a different training program than the athletes who were distance runners, and both would have a different program from the athletes um, who were throwers. And and so so the individualizing it at least by groups was a really good thing, but it was important that the coach would know exactly what was going to be done, how much, what the volume was, what the intensity was, what the frequency was, because we needed to have it be compatible with, to be complementing what the athletes were doing out on the track at practice. And if, and if even on a terms of a weekly schedule, if, if they worked hard on Monday on the track and Tuesday was their rest day, but it was on Tuesdays that the weight room was most available. And so the strength coach gave them a bonsai big time workout on Tuesday when, when the track coach thought they were resting, that would be a problem. It would be all good stuff. It just wouldn't have been put together in a way that would complement the other training and, and in doing it, could not only not would not add as much as it could, it might very well be undermining, even leading to injury. Just the fact that there wasn't good communication and coordination between the coach and the um, the the, the coach in this case the, between the track coach and the strength coach, or whoever the service provider would be for their service. So, so as we then went on to develop even more support services. As I said, strength and conditioning, mental training, sports, applied sports psychology, nutrition, nutritionist, nutrition planning. Um, the athletic training goes way beyond just helping people after they're injured. There's a lot of things that athletic trainers can bring to the table that are to be preventing injury. Uh, but they involve activities and, and exercises to, that athletes would then incorporate into their daily routine. But it doesn't take, really, it just takes add one to what the coach is already doing. If people aren't on the same page, it could help, but it could be destructive. And when you've got two, three, four, five, six different individuals providing really good services that absolutely could do a great, um, provide a great advantage in, in training the athletes to be the best they can be and achieve high performance excellence. It isn't going to work if they aren't all on the same page. So for me then, and again, I had this advantage of spending my life as the head track and field coach many, many years, 27 years at the University of Missouri, but also as a provider of one of those services, applied sports psychology, mental training. Um, I had the perspective of both the sport coach and the perspective of the the um, service provider, the, the, the sport site guy, and I understood full well that kids meet sport at the coach and everything that's going to be delivered to the athletes needs to go to and through the coach. It doesn't mean the coach has got a veto over everything or the control. This isn't a control issue. This is an awareness issue. And, and, and that if everybody's on the same page, it works great. If it's 
six different people from six different silos and then the coach of the team. And there's no awareness of other than here's what I do. You do it now. Um, that's going to lead to destruction. So we started then to talk about uh, at Missouri, we started to talk about things like comprehensive integrated, have a comprehensive program, have all the services that will help athletes and coaches prepare better so they can perform better, so they can achieve more, be prouder, happier, more fulfilled, and want to have more of it. Have a comprehensive program, have everything from soup to nuts, but have that delivered in a way that it's integrated into one experience that that the, the coach is the leader of the team and everybody's contribution is is it's like putting a puzzle together. Put it, some you just can't put the pieces anywhere. They don't fit and doesn't work and then it isn't a pretty picture when you get done. But when you take all those pieces and you have the 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 coach, the coaching staff, the service providers from the other support services all on the same page, all understanding, communicating on a regular basis. So it's the whole experience for coaches, athletes, and service providers is in a comprehensive, integrated program that understands in the end of the day, kids meet sport with the coach. So we go to and through the coach and, and, the, and the coaches are learning, the athletes are learning, and the service providers are learning. And in the end of the day, you have a successful program. And in a successful program would then be consistently demonstrating their, that they have trained to have greater capabilities than before they trained and now deliver those capabilities at the consistently highest level of their performance capabilities. That's high performance excellence. This podcast is sponsored by Soranex Exercise Equipment. Since 1980, Soranex has been a family-owned business responsible for legendary innovations and training solutions that have changed the face of strength training. Today, Soranex is the most sought-after strength brand for professional teams, colleges, high schools, and military units. During this process of growth, our clients have become an extended family to us, part of our brotherhood, our culture. We want to thank you, our customers, friends, and family for being the foundation on which Sornex is built. We promise to do our best to continue to serve you with the best strength training equipment and service in the industry. I kind of want to get you to elaborate a little bit more on you have mentioned several times how you have a unique perspective that you served as a sport coach for so long and also as a service provider. So if you could speak a little bit to how you saw people in both your coaching role and your service provider role overcoming some of the challenges that go along with it. I'm thinking, you know, in athletic departments, there are budget constraints. There are always really big egos in athletics. Can you speak to some of those challenges that you saw and ways that you worked around them or overcame them. When Pat had a GA assigned to track and the, the GA would arrive in, in our office to thinking he knew what we needed to have done. And when I showed him 
why that wouldn't work and what we were looking for. And, and he needed to understand what was happening in the track training so that the strength and conditioning could complement it. And, and some version of, and so he, the young man knew that we weren't being mean, but we just weren't sounding like other coaches that said, okay, we'll just do a lot of coaches just wanted to pass it off to the, whatever the strength and conditioning coach were going to do because the other sport coaches, they didn't understand the benefit of it either. Track coaches, all we do is train the body. So that's our offense. And so, and, and our defenses don't train it wrong. So when the kid went back over to Pat, Pat basically told him, Oh, he's right. You just go back and get with coach McGuire and coach Halder and, and then just help them build a program that we can do over in the weight room that, fits what they're doing out on the track. That was the first time anywhere with any coaches that that we had this kind of cooperation, this kind of understand each other and understand where the piece that strength and conditioning would bring into play would fit. And fit means fit relative to the tasks, the capabilities that we were building to do, to help us deliver the task of running farther, jumping higher, jumping farther, throwing farther, um, running fast, longer. Well, every one of those, ha- it, as you are aware, has an entirely different approach to training. And previously that wasn't a part of it. And this was the first time. And so, and from that, that gave me, um, a awareness of that. So, so uh, there are times in, in my day or week or career that I'm not the track coach. I'm the service provider of a different service and that, and I'm providing a service relating to mental training and applied sports psychology and, and how to think right so that we can perform our best. And, and what I'm delivering that. I need to be as respectful of the coach of the team who's got the player or players with the questions or the needs that we're trying to help. Because at that time, it wasn't that I was assigned to, to a team or hired by a coach of a team. It was coaches or athletes would come and say, hey, I've got a problem or I've got a kid who's got this issue. Can you help? All right. And and so it's it's hard to mess that up, but 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 I knew that wasn't always going to be the way I was going to be serving in the sports psych role. And so this experience, literally, that I had with Pat, uh, that gave me uh, an awareness that uh, I just had light bulbs going on all over, um, and and being aware of I need to be respectful of the the coach of the team where the kids are that we're trying to help. I need to understand what the coach is doing, whether it's doing great or doing things that really are making the problem happen. But I need to understand it, whatever it is. And I need to respect, in the end of the day, that person's the coach of that team. And 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 then I need to understand how can I educate, that I need to educate the coach about what I'm doing in educating the athletes and 
if I do a great job of, of educating the coach, I'll help the coach discover where he or she maybe is adding to the problem and that part of the answer is take a little different approach on their part without me ever having to say that. When I can get the trust of the coach and I'm and the coach is appreciating that I'm that I'm getting to them first and that they know anything and everything that I'm going to be sharing with the with the athlete or the team and why and what it's going to do and why it would help and things that would embellish it and make it even better that could happen on a daily basis. When I can have that kind of a relationship with the coach, it's all going to work better. And it's going to, and it's going to help the coach with the part the coach is playing. I came to understand that in an intimate way because of the appreciation I had for Pat Ivy, the first head strength and conditioning coach that was in a position to recognize and acknowledge we've got the stuff and we've got the expertise, but we don't necessarily from strength and conditioning know how it gets best applied in the middle of a track training period. And we need to know that. So we need to work with coach McGuire and his staff. Okay. So that was a aha moment. That was a breakthrough. That was when the clouds went away and things became bright and clear. And it wasn't just about strength and conditioning. It was about strength and conditioning becoming to my staff and my team. It was about me, Rick McGuire, a sports psych guy, and whether I was working with another team in the athletic department or a high school coach had questions and wanted some help, or if it was with the Olympic team or the world championship team or the I mean, we're talking some serious sport when you're talking the, uh, the U.S. Olympic team. And but even at that level, you've got athletes, you've got coaches of the team, you've got the personal coaches of the athletes. You've got to go to and through the coach because you, you could mess it up in a hurry. Okay, so so I figured that out quickly. I mean, I mean, what it, it, the pieces came together and started to fit now instead of just being discrete individual pieces. And, it, and all along, I knew that I was absolutely intending at some point to stop coaching and create a sports psychology service program in the athletic department. And as Pat knew, I was very frustrated with the way sports psychology was being portrayed and presented and provided in Division One NCAA institutions across the country. They had a flawed model, and the flawed model was destined to fail. And I very much wanted to, at some point, build and show what I believe to be a correct model and and deliver it. And I recognized that this, this same dynamic that, that we experienced creating a, I mean, we had, a, when Pat was the strength coach, head strength coach, from then until I retired, we thrived because of the relationship and the service that was provided to my coaching staff and our athletes from the strength and conditioning program, because we we're on the same page and we were, and, and, and we were excited learning more about what we could do together. But, uh, gee whiz. I mean, I can remember breakthroughs um, with through out of conversations of Pat and Brett, uh, Brian Mann and Brett and Pat. I mean, 
these guys created genius level training because they're excited about how they could how how they could complement each other's pieces that were being put into the to the training experience of the athletes. Okay, that for me then had me recognize well this comprehensive integrated goes beyond track and field and strength and conditioning. It has to do with every single sport with the head coach and coaching staff and all of the support services that and obviously that that um, grew uh, dramatically over the last 10 to 12 years uh, with nutrition and, and physical therapists and massage therapists and, and uh, e- even how the academic support people brought their, their part to the table. But, and, and the mental training um, coaches, the counseling psychologists, I mean, we got a lot of people there. And, and if everybody just works out of their silo, it's going to be a mess. They're going to have contradictory messages being delivered to athletes, comp- contradictory skills being delivered to athletes. You're going to have almost, if not outright, accusation that, well, you wouldn't have this problem if one of the other ones had done their part right. And, and so it just became perfectly obvious that the way a program is designed to actually succeed at, at, at creating and supporting experiences of high-performance excellence consistently, that it, it's required that the, the leaders of each of the areas and the coaches are all on the same page. And that they're understanding what each brings to the table. They're understanding what each is trying to uh, uh, contribute, what each is attending to achieve, where it fits with each athlete and then the team of athletes. And when you have that working, you have the absolute best experience possible and high performance excellence uh, will be become a regular part of the experience. And all of it is because of recognizing we can't be three or five or seven or eight different individuals living in our own silo, doing our own thing, that we've got to be comprehensive, have, have all, there's a place for everybody at the table, soup to nuts, that the big kahuna in this is the team and the coach, and that the rest of us support, and when we do it in this comprehensive, integrated way, Everybody wins. It's a thrilling experience for all. Athletes get the best of, of, of all possibilities. They end up being able to perform at high levels. Coaches feel great about it. Every service provider knows they had a part of it. They're recognized for it. They feel great about it. Comprehensive, integrated, to and through the coach. That's how we live. Got it. Coach, That you, you did a great job tackling a, a huge um, topic. Um, I want to wrap up with uh, one last question. Um, I had a chance to work with Dr. Annie Shadel, one of your former uh, uh, students and uh, graduate students, uh, doctoral students, and we were able to collaborate um, and learn a lot of things together as far as uh, how to do the dissertation. Uh, 
Can you tell me one last, just real quickly, um, just describe what controlling the Olympic moment is in track and field, what you discovered, what you all discovered? Uh, well, Pat, you, you used a word that's a challenge for me, and that was quickly. Um, so, so, uh, so you're referring to the the uh, big Olympic study that we were able to do with the 2008 medal winners from the USA track and field team uh, at the Olympic Games in Beijing, and there were, I think. 23 athletes that won 25 medals. I'm close if I'm not exactly accurate. And, and so what we, what we, the way that we framed the study was, uh, was a, an interview, uh, a one-on-one -on -one interview with the athlete. Uh, in many cases, a one-on-one -on -one interview with their coach and in, Several of the ones where we also included the coach, we were able to have a, a, an interview with the coach and athlete together. And all we were asking the athlete to do was to tell their story, uh, their Olympic story. And the athletes would regularly say, well, where do you want me to start? And we would say, wherever you think your story starts. We had some people that started at the Olympic trials. We had some people that started at a failure the year before and a turnaround and a you know, they maybe didn't make the world championship team. And so they were on a mission to make that Olympic team. Maybe had some athletes that were coming off of injury and they started the story and their rehab program or the surgery and took it from there. We had one start in the fourth grade. Okay. And it was like a nine hour recording. That's quite a lot of transcribing, but, but, but it didn't matter. We just said, tell us your story. And we didn't really have any questions. We just wanted their story. And some people questioned me on, well, we need to have some research questions because you got to have consistency in what, in, in, in what, what information you're finding. And I said, yeah, you'd think so. But, but what if we asked question three and we asked question four, but the real gold came between those and, and it wasn't ever the answer to our questions because we didn't, know that we had all the right questions. So rather than risk that, we asked one question, would you please tell us your Olympic story? And man, did those kids get into it. Now we had people that were skilled in, they were all, they were all, all of the investigators, all of the researchers were track and field people. So they, they understood track, they talked the language of track and they got people talking about track. And and we were, I mean, I had traveled with 11 national teams, two Olympic teams, led and, and trained the, the group of sports psychology professionals that served all the Olympic teams from 1988 to 2008, that game. The study happened in when, probably 2009, 10. So, so, so. So I was quite sure that if we could just get the athletes to talk alone with their researcher, that um, who was mostly just listening and, and having conversation wherever it was, wherever conversation would facilitate it moving. Okay, 
what we found was every single one of those Olympic medalists, every single one, led us to a moment, a challenge, a setback, an injury, a recovery, a surgery, a change of coaches, a threatened to change a coach, um, uh, uh, a particular uh, incident that happened in the Olympic Village or at the Olympic warm-up track. In every case, they could identify a key moment where they chose to do A, and if they'd done anything else, it wouldn't have worked. But the choice they made made all the difference, and later they stood on the Olympic medal stand every single time. And and over the years, I mean, anybody that's coached at nearly any level knows that that um, even though uh, a basketball team wins the sectional championship and it's a and, and they're ready to go and they get to the state tournament. That weird stuff happens. And everybody goes, well, you know, it's hard. It's a high level and whatever. It's just a basketball game. It, you know, it's just a basketball game. Except something about being the state championship or the state track meet or the state wrestling championship or the bowl game in football. It, it, it gets blown out of proportion, made it bigger than life. And in the end of the day, people then end up not performing well and they can blame it on, well, it was all this other stuff. And and, and so I watched for years uh, athletes on national championships, world championships, Pan American Games championships, Olympic championships, where the same kind of stuff that gets in the way of a, of a high school sophomore when he moves from the sectional track meet to the state track meet, and then the wheels come off. Same thing happened with greatest athletes in the world. And so, and I didn't share that with anybody. I mean, you were there with us. You know that we didn't go to anybody and say, hey, we're looking for this. We just said, tell your story. Every single one of them, without prompting, identified a key experience or three key experiences that they attributed their success to handling that challenging experience correctly. Some cases it was months before the Olympic Games. Some cases it was on the way from the holding room to the starting line. But they all had a moment. And so what we under what what how we ended up naming and framing the report of the research was controlling your Olympic moment with a sub sub statement of either you control the Olympic moment or the Olympic moment controls you. Wow. And, 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 and so all of the mental training and integrated with all the other support services and the physical technical training of the sport that the, is all intended to be able to know the challenge will come, your moment will come, recognize it for what it is, and take control of it. No, going into it, you will be required to control the Olympic moment. And if you do, you increase the probability you'll be happy with the performance and whatever. There's no magic tricks that's going to, you know, you don't turn a, 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 
a chump into a champ. But but so there's no guarantee it's going to put everybody that learns how to control their Olympic moment that that they're going to win the Olympic medal. But but it's absolutely the truth that if they control their Olympic moment, they're going to perform better and give themselves the best chance to get the very highest placing that they can get. And the real fact of the matter is that that's true in any sport at any level. So then our mantra became controlling your Olympic moment, wherever your Olympics happen. Coach, I want to say thank you. Um, As, as you've heard from uh, coach McGuire, Dr. McGuire, I call him Yoda. He's my Yoda. Whenever I needed advice, whenever I needed uh, to know which direction to go to, I hope everyone out there has a Yoda. Um, Coach, can you tell uh, our listeners uh, where they can find you? Do you have a website? Uh, I uh, uh, yes. How about I go? Uh, 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 just Dr. Rick McGuire, Coach Dr. Rick McGuire. It's it's not an elaborate website. The, I might work on that a little bit more, but but they'll find the things that they they're looking for, or if they talk, if they look for positive coaching, or Coach Doctor Rick McGuire positive coaching, um, they'll find they'll find me and the stuff that we're that, that we're working on that we're teaching teaching coaches to be better coaches without having to scream, yell, curse, demean, humiliate, bully their athletes. Without that, way Thanks, better coach. ways to coach than that. So positive coaching is what we are promoting. Thanks, Coach. I, we really appreciate having you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Pat. Thanks, Mackenzie. Thank you, Coach. Have a good night. You too. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Beyond Sets and Reps, where we provide the performance edge. This podcast has been brought to you by our sponsor, Soranex Exercise Equipment. To make sure you don't miss an episode, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or your preferred podcast provider. You can find show notes and more at beyondsetsandreps.com. That's B-E-Y-O-N-D-S-E-T-S-A-N-D-R-E-P-S dot com.